Loving God, may your spirit guide us to hear your word as a living word that speaks to us at this time, at this place. May we hear and understand and respond in ways which honour you. Amen. May you carry a significant responsibility and opportunity when it comes to the Wednesday sermon. Because this is my first run for what will be on Sunday. So if your feedback is, no, no, go back to this drawing board, start again, you have the capacity to influence me enormously. Occasional words of encouragement will come down well as well. <laughs> but in particular, my desire when it comes to the ministry of the word is to invite further conversation, to invite the sort of thoughts that sit with us and we could explore and tease out further as we go. As I said last Sunday, I have a very modest goal of trying to go from Genesis 1 through to Revelation 22 in the first six months of the year, um, not verse by verse or even chapter by chapter, if you believe to know, but drawing out the main contours of how God is at work, the mission of God. Below the surface of many a pastoral conversation, just below the surface, is often the question, where is God in my life at this time and my circumstances? And just below that question is the question, which I think is a very profound one, what on earth is God doing? As we look at the world, whether it's our own circumstances, our own neighbourhoods and nation, or whether it's the global picture as well, what on earth is God doing? Because scripture gives us incredibly energising, hope-filled answers to that question. God is not distant. God is present and is at work and God's purposes will prevail no matter how much humanity may mess it up and threaten it as it has a capacity from time immemorial to do so. God's purposes will prevail. Now last Sunday I talked about Genesis, uh, just the first three or four verses, but even the first line actually describes the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that was the beginning of an ongoing creation project that has not finished as yet. It wasn't, I've done it, it's completed to the extent that nothing can change. Because if something is perfect, if you change something that is perfect, the only way to change it is one less. Nearer the mic. I have got a mic on and I'm told I'm easier to hear there, Roger. Is that better? I'll try and do it a bit louder, but I'm told that I was harder to hear on that on Sunday, so I'll try and use this because I do tend to turn around a bit. But please let me know if I can lift my voice um, as I go. So the, uh, the short version of what God is doing in the world is moving from disorder and chaos and that which is desolate into a state which is orderly and flourishing in creation and that is entirely uh, safe. So the movement from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the last book of the Bible, is from the commencement of creation to the goal of that creation. 
and that's an ongoing project. When it says at the end of Genesis 1, and it was good, and it was very good, it actually doesn't mean that it, was, it can't be changed. It means it's fit for purpose. But creation has always been designed to be active, to be progressing through the seasons and through the, the, uh, the work of planting and sowing and attending and, and harvesting. It's a very dynamic work. So that's a sort of a short version of what an earth God is doing. He's moving from that which is threatening and dark and chaotic to that which is orderly and characterised by safety and the word that you'll hear a lot more from me this year, shalom. Shalom is a state of well-being, a state where all is right and there is a, a capacity to flourish and to be true to the people God has called us to be. So the short version for this passage, which we'll be picking up a little bit more on Sunday, is that at the culmination of these uh, of the creation, the first three days as uh, God creates the, the framework for the world, the separation of the, the heavens from the earth, the separation of, of uh, night from day, the separation of land from the sea and so on. That's the framework is put into place for the fr first three days. Then the next three days, that framework is inhabited by that which is, which is growing. So the, the plants, the fish, the birds, the animals, uh, the scars are all placed into those, that framework until the culmination at the end of day six is the very last jewel to go into creation, which is the creation of humanity, male and female. And the term that's used is that God created humanity in the image and likeness of God. Two incredibly important terms that shape our sense of who we are. Before I get into those two words, image and likeness, and why they are so significant, let me just suggest to you some of the challenges we have in our world today. Because our wider community is not what it used to be 20, 40, 60 years ago. And increasingly we have a, a range of uh, diversity of beliefs and of cultures and of uh, ethnic practices and different ways of doing things, which actually is not dissimilar to the first century in the time of Jesus, where that whole mix of different cultures and peoples and cities and uh, the ways in which things are done was characteristic in the ancient world. But it seems to me that one of the biggest challenges for our world today at a global level at a regional level, at a national level, and no less at a neighbourhood level, is how we cope with the diversity where a lot of people are, just go about their lives in a way that's different to our own. And there's a lot that we don't understand about that. So dealing with diversity but still having the capacity to be unified as a, as, as a community is the great challenge of our day. 
And one of the biggest fears that uh, many have, I certainly have, is that creating fear about difference is an amazingly powerful political tool that scares me. That we should be afraid of those who are different from us and hold them at a difference and just pull back to our people. Just creates a world of us and them. And that is not how God has intended it. So given the diversity we have, amazing diversity across the generations now and in our wider community, where do we start as Christian believers in understanding how would God answer that question and seek it? And the answer, I believe, starts with the verse we have focused on this morning. Being created in the image and likeness of God. Because that is across all humanity. There is not one culture or nation or civilization who can say, that is us, not you. The image and likeness of God is seen in every human community and nation. It is there. And in every single person, the image and likeness can be seen. One of the, the sadnesses I see, and I do hear it from time to time uh, from within Christian communities and others, is the division of the world between the saved and the unsaved. If you are saved, then well and good. If you are unsaved, then you have no worth whatsoever. This verse tells us that is wrong. Even the unsaved still bear the image and likeness of God. You might have to dig deep to find it. It may be messed up and scarred. And I can tell you in my time up in the, uh, the Playford area around Elizabeth and elsewhere, that diversity is certainly very evident in the community. But getting beyond that and seeing people with their history and their lives and good choices and poor choices and times where they've been given a hard time and have really had to battle and other periods, in that whole mix, everyone I meet carries to some degree the image and likeness of God. And my challenge as a pastor is to try and name that, find it, and just to water it and to, and to help it to grow and to re-emerge and to become healed because that is what the word shalom means. So what do these two words mean, to be in the image and likeness of God? The first word, they're actually not the same. The first word image is closest to what we who come from a, a British background would identify with the image of our queen. And the image of the queen is all I've known throughout my life. It's changed a little bit on you know, the coins and the shadows, but we know that, that royal image. And those who carry that image carry the authority of the queen. So those who are image bearers for our Queen of Australia in our, con our present context carry the responsibilities of doing the queen's business in this part of the world. Make sense? So primarily it's actually our governor's general, whether it's the governor's general or whether the state governor, they carry the image, the authority of the crown, 
and that means that they have responsibilities to act in a way which is responsible in that space. All humanity have been created with that authority before God to be about God's business in this world, which is creative, which is bringing order out of chaos, which is seeking to restore and to flourish and to dispel fear and to be characterised by that which is good and true and just. That is the responsibility for all humanity over all creation. One other little short footnote, this is one I'd love to have a further conversation with, but not now, is that there is no identity of being human that is separate from creation. It's not that the God is only interested in people and their soul out there and the rest of the world is immaterial. We are located firmly in creation. The way we relate and take responsibility for the materiality of the world around us and the social world and the culture is an essential part of what it means for us to be human. So there's no separation between a spiritual realm that the church should be involved with and everyone else should take care of all the, the nuts and the bolts and the materiality of things. No, the two are always brought together. That sound like a big responsibility? It's huge <laughs> for God to say, be about my work in this world and do it in a way which honours me. But I've given you a capacity, God says. That's the likeness of God where humanity have been given a capacity that is not found anywhere else in creation. Now, at times I look at a cow in a field. We've actually got a home at Clayton Bay, which may be a retirement place to retire to one day. But anyway, we do go to Clayton Bay on the River Murray. Have you ever looked at a cow? What amazing life. <laughs> Don't tend to see them rushing around. But I would not have the same degree of moral accountability for a cow. If a cow has pushed a post over, I won't go to a cow and say, you irresponsible being. Most likely he's got an itch and just wanted to rub, it, rub itself. Humanity has been given a capacity and a responsibility that is higher than anything else in creation. We are more responsible than anything else in creation, to do what is right and to live rightly and to take responsibility and to be accountable for that. Image and likeness of God, two huge nations. Next week we will see, I think it's next week, well next week or two, a couple of weeks actually, having thought about that, that man cannot do it alone. You know that beautiful phrase that it's, not good for man to be alone actually means God says, no, you are not up to it. You might try as best you can, but you are not able to do it until woman is created. The two of you, male and female together, are required to exercise these responsibilities as well. Big questions, but exciting answers to what God is doing in and through us, every one of us not just those within the church, but in our community. And our goal is to polish off that image and likeness and the water and bring out the best of those qualities.
That is why when we face a crisis, be it a drought or a bushfire or a flood or an earthquake or whatever the emergency may be, do you notice that brings the best out of humanity? Because in those moments, we slip into being in the image and likeness of God. We ask, what can we do to help? What can we do to assist? How can we share our resources? It's that quality that we desire to see redeemed and renewed and transformed. And that is the work of the gospel.